0: The title of today's message is, The Facts of Life Concerning Sin Denial, Part 6. It was given during the morning service on September 25, 2022, at the East Side Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. For sake of those remotely, we are returning to Titus chapter 2, verses 11-15. to The series is an overriding title, is The Love of Christ. And his love is shown through grace, as Titus 3, verse 4 tells us, as well as Titus 2, verse 11. Grace and love are synonymous terms in two verses, Titus two eleven and Titus 3, 4, that are saying basically the same thing. It's a love of Christ series. It's kind of a dual statement, love of Christ, love for us and our love for him. So verse 11 of Titus 2 would be his love for us. His grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and instructing us from the Word of God, and our love of Christ would be obedience to that instruction in verses 12 to 15. Let's read these verses, Titus 2, 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking to for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Verse 15, these things speak, exhort, and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let's follow the outline in the note sheet today. What we finished is verse 11. A love of Christ shows forth toward all humans in a grace invitation for salvation. The grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to all men as through Jesus Christ in the cross, through the first coming of Christ. We're in Roman numeral 2, verses 12 to 15, the body, the major body of this series. The love of Christ shows forth toward all believers in a grace command to be sanctified. This is in verse 12, instructing us. Us refers to believers, uh, all men in verse 11 refers to all humans, all unbelievers. And then he focuses in on believers. In verses 12 to 15, instructing us. And this raises in Roman numeral 2, letter A, the love of Christ instructs believers to leave sin. So the first overriding issue is Bible instruction is meant to confront ungodliness and worldly desires. This is a massive implication, as I said in the prayer before this sermon began. This is a constant instruction to get believers to deny or repent of ungodliness continuously. In your note sheet then, that's what we're looking at, the marks of godliness. Mark number one of godliness in your note sheet, the godly believer loves Bible instruction. Obviously, a godly believer wants to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. They want to be godly in the present age, so this requires the the foundation of all of verse 12 is the first word. Bible instruction. Mark number two that we've looked at of godliness, the godly believer loves fellowship in the body of Christ, especially to be instructed. So this instruction is a group instruction shown by the plurality of us, instructing us as believers. And this epistle is written to local churches, just like First and 2 Timothy. So we are called to do these things as believers. The first part of chapter two tells us That in verse 1, speak these things which are fitting for sound doctrine. So he raises the issue in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, of the fact that teaching, speaking these things, sound doctrine, is for the body of Christ. It's for this local church. And that's why he confronts the various groups in the local church, older men and older women in verses 2 and 3, and younger men and younger women as well in verses 4 to 6. And he says, show yourself to be an example, obviously, to the local church. Sound and speech, verse 8. He brings up the issue of those that are slaves in the church who are born again, verse 9. So when it says instructing us in verse 12, this is group instruction in a local church. Godly believers love that, mark number one. Mark number two, we gather to fellowship to be taught the word. Can a believer grow if he never attends a local church? No. This is a mark that shows, I've know, I know of unbelievers who say they've received Christ as Lord and Savior, that they're born again, but they never attend a Bible-believing local church. They're not saved. The Spirit of God drives us to be part of a local fellowship. It's a mandate of the scriptures. Now, we're currently in Mark number three. That's why it's bold and bigger in your notes. This has massive implications for us. The godly believer denies ungodliness and worldly desires when he's instructed in the word. Notice... It's instruction, instructing us towards, the two there in verse 12, is a directional marker in the Greek. The goal of the instruction is towards this first and foremost, to get believers to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Desires there, as we will see later, is a classic word for lust in the New Testament. Worldly lusts then, epithumia. So what we have under Mark number three is... The instruction, number one under mark number three, points believers to denial, continuous denial. The instruction is continuous in the Greek, and the denial is to be continuous. That tells us that denial, denying worldly desires to be continuous means that we have a continuous problem with sin as believers. Number two in your note sheet under mark number three, instructing us to is primarily confrontational and negative. This is true throughout the New Testament. 2 Timothy 4, Paul tells Timothy to preach the word reproving, rebuking, exhorting with the preaching of the word. That's negative. It's confrontation of sin. So underneath that, letter A, point number two, Bible teaching is primarily meant to confront sin in a believer's life in order, write it down, in order to get him to renounce it. Bible teaching is primarily meant to confront sin in a believer's life in order to get him to renounce it. That's that word, deny. It's an epistle written to local churches. It's an epistle written to Christians. Titus is, in verse 1, teaching. And now the grace of God in verse 12 is personally, through the Spirit, instructing us in local churches Instructing us from the word to renounce sin, which means we have a problem with sin. Letter B, the word denial, I gave it to you there phonetically. Our ne'amai means to strongly renounce something. To strongly renounce something. You can write that down. Our ne'amai means to strongly renounce something. Now, I've warned you about that word deny. It's a bad English translation. Because it means predominantly in our culture this. Did you steal that object? No, I what? I denied it, right? Which means I didn't do it. That's not what this means. Renounce is the correct word. So this is not denying reality or denying that one does something in verse 12. This is more along the lines of I denied myself the pleasure of eating a dessert at lunch today. I renounced So please remember that the word deny means to renounce. Also under letter B, please write down, this is a word for repentance. To repent is to renounce, to turn away. To repent is to renounce, to turn away. There are many words for repentance in the Bible. This is one of them. So look at that. Bible instruction in verse 12 is to be continuous. Towards believers, us, verse 12, So that you and I would strongly, this Arne-Amiah, strongly repent. The instruction is continuous. The repentance is continuous. Do we have a continuous problem as believers with sin? Yes. Do we thus need continuous instruction against sin? Let's look at letter C now last time we just did fact number one review stops after fact number one so i'm giving you now eight essential facts of life concerning bible instruction and its relationship to sin denial do you see why i'm doing these facts because in verse twelve it's bible instruction towards denying sin there are many applications i'm giving you eight of them number one that we saw last month. If a believer cannot win against sins, S I N S, it's very important you put the S yes on the end of that. If you're trying to win against your sin nature to, to have it eradicated, that's pointless. Our goal is not to stop our sin nature, our goal is to stop the sins that the sin nature are doing. Are we clear on that? Okay. Because First John 1, John confronts the heresy that if you think you have no sin, you're not even saved. So we can't get rid of sin. It's sins. So if a believer cannot win against sins, all Bible instruction would stop. Do you understand why that's an application of verse 12? The Spirit of God is saying you need instruction so that you'll renounce sins. But if we can't possibly, as believers, renounce sins, what's the point of Bible instruction? There is no point, right? If we really can't stop sins, then there's no point to Bible instruction. Because this says you need instruction to stop sins, right? I've had many believers tell me I can't stop myself. Then there's no point for Bible instruction. That's the point of fact number one. If a believer cannot win against sins, then we should stop teaching, right? Because this is a major purpose of teaching. In fact, 2 Timothy 4 says it's the only purpose of teaching. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort. Those are negative terms confronting sin. So think about that. If I really can't stop sinning, sins, that I struggle with, Bible instruction serves no purpose. Would we agree? Yeah, right? If I can't stop sins, then Bible instruction is pointless. Do you understand the connection there? Instruction is meant to get you to renounce and turn away from sins. If you truly can't do that as a believer, then Bible instruction is pointless. Under that fact number one, then, we can win individual sin battles by the power of the Spirit through Bible instruction. We can win individual sin battles by the power of the Spirit through Bible instruction. Since we have to do this all our lives, instruction is continuous, denial is continuous, we're never going to stop our sin natures, we're never going to stop sinning, but we can win individual battles against sins. Now, I would put to you that I've run into many Christians, as I said a few moments ago, that don't believe this. The things that Christians believe in their hearts, many times they don't verbalize. This is revealed in counseling over the years. And this is one of them right here, this first fact. There are Christians that have truly come to believe they can't stop their sin struggles. They can't. They've given up hope. Now, we've got, we've got a contradiction here when that occurs. Christians who think they can't stop, the Bible says instruction helps us to stop. That's a contradiction, right? Christians think they can't stop sins because they have no victory or a little victory. Yet the Bible says confront sin here in verse 12 so that you will renounce or stop. Now, the Bible is very plain that this is the reality, that it, can't, it does work. Look at, for instance, Galatians 5. We're going to repeat verses I've looked at many times before, but in regards to this application, we need to go back to these. So go look at Galatians 5 and look at verse 16. Another verse that says you can stop sins in your life as a believer. Verse 16, Galatians 5.16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. So this is a cause and effect. If you fulfill the cause of walking by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh in specific sin battles. So does the Bible teach that you can have victory? Yes? If I don't have victory, I'm not walking by the spirit or I'm not saved, I don't have the spirit. Notice you have to have the spirit. In Titus 2:12, you have to have this instruction, instructing us to deny. Galatians 5:16, it says, "You need the spirit. Spirit plus instruction equals victory. Okay? Carry out. What does carry out mean? It means to take something to completion, to reach to the end. In other words, the idea is you will not fulfill your lusts fully to the very end all the time. Since lust is part of your sin nature, you're going to lust. You're going to have desires of the flesh that you and I partake of, but they will not be completed constantly. We will have victory. They will not reach their consummate end. The Bible does not teach the eradication of your sin nature. It teaches that you can have victories. Okay? Also look at another verse, Colossians 3. So walking into our churches, our professed believers by the scores, many, many professed believers down through the history of American evangelicalism who really have become convinced they can't stop their sin. I've heard it by experience. This is the experience of the Bible. This is the experience of church history. I'm saved, I can't help myself, I can't stop myself. Now look at Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Consider the members of your earthly body. What is this? What is he referring to? The old idea is the mortification of the flesh, the sin nature. Considering the members of your earthly body as dead, what that means is your sin nature has no power. The Puritans talked about the mortification of sin. Mortification means consider it by faith that it's dead. Dead does not mean it does not exist. When a human dies, do they cease to exist? Yes or no? No. still exist, either in heaven or hell, right? Death is an annihilation. When your sin nature died, according to Romans 6, it was not annihilated. It was rendered without lordship power. These things we should consider. Notice the word consider. That's very important. All you have to do is come to a realization in your mind that this is true. That word consider is used throughout Romans 6. Romans 6 is the great passage on... Christians who are enslaved to sin, Christians who lose hope that they have victory, Christians who think they can't stop themselves. We can get that way. I have been that way. We all have as true believers. And the solution is the same in Romans 6 as right here in verse 5. Consider. It is the absolutely essential concept for mortification of your sin nature. And notice he lists various types of sins, not an essential or complete or an exhaustive list in verse 5. Verse 6, For it is because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked, verse 7, when you were living in them. Walked means this was our pursuit. There was no going back. We walked in sin. But now you also put them all aside. That's another faith step. Consider verse 5. Verse 8, put them all aside. We simply say, I don't have to commit this sin as I walk by the Spirit and sit under Bible instruction. Can I renounce sin as a believer if I do not have the Holy Spirit? According to Galatians 5.16, I cannot. Can I renounce in a victory over sin if I'm not continuously sitting under Bible instruction? No. Titus 2.12. So you have the renunciation of sin, but the Bible doesn't just say repent, verse 8 and 9, but also verse 10. And put on the new self. This is a faith step. You say, I am new in Christ, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And of course, when you put on the new self, it results in verses 12 to 16 in some marvelous virtues. And notice in verse 16, The foundation of all that is let the word of christ dwell in you richly so in verses 5 to 15 it's simply this consider you have no power in your sin nature to force you to sin so repent and deny and put off those sins as they come up and then in faith in verse 10 down to verse 15 ask the lord to empower you through the spirit and through bible instruction to put on the new self By faith, and it's all through a massive intake of the word of God. Do you see that in verse 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, let me ask you something. Don't answer it out loud, just in your own mind. What's the problem, counseling-wise, when a professed believer, and let's assume these are true believers, can't stop sin in their life? They're not renouncing it. They're not repenting. And I've had some, yes, I've asked God's forgiveness. I have no victory. They're not in faith, trusting that that sin nature and the sins in it are dead. It has no power. They are not in faith, in verse 10, putting on a new self. And most essentially, I have found, the foundational reason Christians can't stop themselves from sinning, they think, is because of verse 16. They are not letting the word of Christ dwell in them richly. That is a massive, massive strategic failure. Now go back to Titus chapter 2. So you can see how important, according to the Bible, the word of God is. Instructing us, we need that instruction. Galatians 5 tells us you need the spirit of God in order to have victory, to not carry out the desires of the flesh. Here you need the instruction of the word in verse 12. This does not stop the reality, though, that there are professed believers who are absolutely convinced that no one can win against any sin in one's life, contradicting this fact, number one. So, preaching that is meant to help in verse 12 of Titus 2 is meant to help a believer win against sins. Preaching is pointless to these type of believers, it can't be done, it's a waste of time. A Christian who believes they can't stop themselves will not yield to the authority of teaching. I've tried that. It does not work. What that means under fact number one is this. If I think I can't stop sins in my life, the Bible is in error. If I believe that I can't stop sins in my life as a believer, then the Bible is in error. You understand that that's the conclusion, right? No Christian ever comes out and says the Bible's in error, but that's the implication. I've confronted Christians in counseling in the past. So you really think you can't stop sins in your life? No, I can't. Well, you believe the Bible's in error. Oh, no, the Bible's the word of God. But you just said you can't stop sins. And a counselee will say, well, what does that have to do with the Bible? Well, the Bible, when instructed to us in verse 12, helps us to deny ungodliness. If you can't stop ungodliness in your life, then instruction is pointless. But the Bible says that you have to have instruction, you believe it's pointless, and you'll find every single time that a backslidden Christians, Christians stop reading and studying the Bible. I mean, why wouldn't you? If it doesn't work, right? I stop it. This is a natural conclusion. But it goes further than I can't win against sins, and this is fact number two now. If a believer does not need to win against sin, the first one is I can't stop sin, fact number one. Fact number two, fill it in. If a believer does not need to win against sin, then all Bible instruction should stop. This isn't I can't stop sin, this is I don't need to stop sin. It's an astounding statement, isn't it? Are there believers that think that they do not need to win against sin? Oh, yeah. In fact, this one, I would have to say, is the majority of professed believers. And you could say, how could you say that? How could the majority of professed believers not think that they need to win against sin? We'll see. Now, I just alluded to Second Timothy chapter 4, so let's just go back there for a moment. I already quoted to you verse 2, 2 Timothy 4.2. Many times I've taken you to this verse. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Notice it's a rebuking of sin, and exhorting and a reproving of sin. And you have to do it with patience and instruction. Notice instruction. Preaching is to instruct. Do you see that in verse 2? If you say, what is preaching the word at the beginning of 2 Timothy 4.2? It's answered at the end of verse 2. It's instruction. Is that not what we just saw in Titus 2.12? Instructing. Did we not just see in Titus 2.12, we're instructed to renounce ungodliness? Is that not what preaching is in verse 2? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. I've had people tell me ad infinitum over the 35 years, you're not supposed to be preaching to Christians, you're just supposed to be evangelizing from that pulpit. Wrong. Verse 2 says, you're to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You can't do that to unbelievers. They don't have the spirit. How could they ever change their ways? This is for believers. And you do it through instruction of the word. So you got preaching, which is instruction, and in between in verse 2, it's an overwhelming confrontation of sin in the believer's life. This is a major problem. Look at verse 2. If preaching is meant to reprove, rebuke, and exhort sin, and what else would we be reproving, rebuking, and exhorting, right? It's not reproving and rebuking godliness. Could you imagine that? I'm going to do a sermon series today that's going to reprove you for being holy. Stop that holiness. So you got bookends, preach instruction of verse 2, beginning and end of the verse. In between, it's all a massive confrontation of sin. Does verse 2 slam us with the fact we're in trouble and we need this? There are Christians who say, I don't need all this sin confrontation. You say, oh, come on. Hold on. Perry Mason isn't done here yet. Look what Christians prefer in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? It's sound teaching. To do what? What is the purpose of sound doctrine or teaching? Back in verse 2, the confronting of sin. They won't want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their what? Desires or lusts. So, do these last days believers think that they have a problem with sin? No. No. Do they like their lusts? This is in the church. Yes. So do you see the contrast between verse 2 and 3? In the last days before the rapture, we are called to instruct and preach against sin in verse 2, but believers in verse 3 like their sin and don't need this type of teaching. That's why in verse 3 they accumulate Pile up, literally, in the Greek, to heap up. episornao to pile and pile up teachers. What you're going to have is, before the rapture, the implication of this prophetically is, very few Bible-believing churches with teachers who will confront sin, and a heap of Bible-believing churches that will have for themselves teachers that support their ability to lust causing them in verse 4 to turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. The reality is, according to this prophetical passage, professed believers in the last days, which is now, do not see that they need sin-confronting Bible instruction. So we got another contradiction. Fact number one, there's Christians that think they can't stop sin, but the Bible says it does stop sin. That's a contradiction. If I believe I can't stop sin in my life as a believer, the Bible is in error. Fact number two, there are Christians that don't need to win against sin because sin is not a big problem. So if we don't need To war against sin. And passages like this say that we must be confronted about our sin. We've got a second contradiction. If I don't have a big problem with sin and don't need instruction against sin, then error number two. The Bible is an error. I say, I'm not convinced of this. How do we know that Christians don't think they need to win against sin? Fact number two. Well, the plain fact of the matter is teaching services are dying in our churches, right? Why? What makes a teaching service die? Pastor Sam, for years, had a Sunday night service where he taught the word twice on Sunday like I do, and the evening service died. What does that mean? He'd sit there week after week with sermons ready, and no one was there. he just sit at a table waiting. No one show up. Why? Well, because instruction was only necessary once. So we're decreasing teaching services, but wait, what did we learn in Titus 2.12? You need continuous instruction to do what? Denying godliness? So if I'm decreasing instruction by my lack of attendance, if I'm negating instruction in my life, what does that say about my attitude toward my own sin? You don't need it. It's not a big deal, Right? Let me give you an analogy. Ready for this one? Let's say I'm bald. Actually, I am. This is a hairpiece. I got it renewed. I have three types. The one that needs a hair cut, hairpiece, the one that is perfect hairpiece, which is this one, and the one that is a hairpiece that looks like the barber went too far. Okay. Just to keep you on your toes. See, it's right there. It's sliding a little. Let's just pretend I'm bald. I could say this as a connection to what I'm saying. You could say, I'm bald, so why do I need to be told to keep combing my hair when it doesn't exist? That's stupid. Imagine if I said to Leon every Sunday, Oh, your hair's a little messy, you need to comb it. You'd think I was nuts, right? If I'm bald, why do I need to keep combing my hair? Killed the analogy right there. (laughs) The moment's lost. Now notice the analogy. I am okay spiritually. So why do I constantly have to be hit over the head by sin sermons? So Christians who are under sin confronting sermons and preaching and instruction fade away why they don't need the instruction why they don't have a problem with sin you comb your hair when you have hair you sit under Bible instruction when you've got a problem with sin the evidence that we don't believe that we need to confront our sin and that sin is no big deal is the death of Bible instruction in the church do you get that And church leadership is just to blame, as those in the pew. The church has pushed this point for over a century, that sin is no big deal. Sin is no big deal, folks, in the American church. So we don't need a lot of Bible instruction, so let's dump it. You only need a lot of Bible instruction if there's a major problem in believers' lives with sin. Well, it says in the Bible right there in 2 Timothy 4 and Titus 2, that we need instruction continuously to renounce sin. Yeah, but believers are dumping teaching services, and they're closing, and Bible sermons are decreasing in length of time. Being forced out of the church is instruction because Christians don't need it. If they need it, they'd comb their hair. If they need it, they'd be sitting more and more under instruction. When it says we are to continually be instructed, that implies that we need this constantly to confront sin that is a daily problem. If I'm dumping instruction, I don't have a daily problem. Is that not axiomatic? Is that not logically true? You don't find out that people don't think that they have a problem with sin by asking them if they have a problem with sin. They'll say, of course, I'm a believer. I believe that we have a great problem with sin. The proof of it is not your words. It's your actions. Like the guy who's divorcing his wife in Hollywood, but we love each other. Pastor John, I love the teaching of the word. Well, where are you? Well, I only need it once on Sunday mornings. Where in the Bible does it say? Linda Hall used to tell me this all the time. Where's it saying? Because I confront her with this. Where does it say in the Bible I have to be here on Sunday nights? Well, where does it say in the Bible you have to eat food? Do You have a continuous problem with sin, Linda, wouldn't answer me. That's why she couldn't be bothered because she didn't need instruction because she didn't have a problem with sin. If you're hungry, you eat. You don't go down this legalistic road. Where in the Bible does it say that I have to be here on Sunday nights? It doesn't say that anywhere. It says in Colossians 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell continuously within you because you have a richly dwelling continuous sin nature. This is cause and effect. You need lots of instruction because of lots of sin in your life. When I don't believe I need instruction, it's because I don't have a problem with sin. The proof we don't believe we have a problem with sin is we are killing teaching services. I don't know how it can be any simpler than that. As one writer says, the church has pushed this point for over a century that sin is no big deal. We do not need confrontational sin sermons because a believer doesn't have a problem with sin. And that's why the modern evangelical heresy of the gospel has been born. The removal of the centrality of repentance because even unbelievers don't have a problem with sin. Repentance for unbelievers is simply not needed. Constant confronting of sin for believers is simply not needed. When sin-confronting sermons aren't needed, it's because we don't have a problem with sin. There's no other reason. I don't comb a bald head, and I don't continuously sin under Bible instruction confronting my sermons because I don't need to comb a bald head and I don't need to be confronted on my sin because of fact number two, I simply don't need it. Hmm. This goes way back to Britain. I was reviewing this week a hymn, one of those famous hymns that we've remember. You know, when I was in choir in grade school in Oliver Wendell Holmes School in Oak Park, we had to, all the students in grade school in the 1960s, early 70s, we had to go to choir. We'd all show, there'd be auditoriums, and I don't think they even make auditoriums anymore in grade schools and high schools, I don't know, I haven't been any recently. But every grade school in the country would have an auditorium, so you'd gather and you'd sing, there'd be choir. we would all sing as students, and we sang Christian hymns. And one of them was, we have a story to tell the nation, remember that? We've a story to tell to the nation that will turn our hearts to the right. Remember that song? Oldies? When you check out from 1862 all four of those stanzas on Google like I did, not a word about sin. Peace. Light. Love. Nothing about hell. This is western christianity's history. Sin's a minor thing. Follow the logic. John, you're a little you're a little hopped up on this confrontation with sin thing. Personally, for me, sin's not that big of a deal. I don't really need a lot of sin confronting sermons cuz it's not really a big deal. It's not. sin's a minor thing. John, once you're saved from sin, we're not saved from sin by the way. We're saved from the penalty of sin, but I've had believers say, John, once you're saved from sin, you don't really have to worry about sin anymore. That's what the American church and Western Christianity is taught. And that's why Bible teaching for most Christians is a minor priority as well. The proof is in the pudding. I don't need a lot of instruction because I'm not struggling with sin a lot. And I can say all that I want to and just stomp my feet with my busted up knees that I know that I'm a terrible sinner, the proof is I don't sin under a lot of instruction. Titus 2.12 says you must continuously be instructed to continuously renounce sin. That means that instruction is necessary because we're messed up big time with sin. Sin has to be dealt with through the application of the word of God and through instruction. If sin is no big deal, then the word of God takes on minor importance. And that's what we see in the church today. The word of God has taken on minor importance in our evangelical churches. So we morphed into other purposes for the church rather than teaching confronting sin. A Christian who doesn't attend here said this to me recently, John, the reality is and has been for over a century and I agreed with him, that when Christians come to church they're looking for things other than the teaching of the word or the confronting of sin. They're looking for other things. And then they're shocked when they come into a church like ours and find out this is what we're doing this is why so many so-called believers over the years have come in here, stayed a while, and eventually they leave. They're looking for something more or different. Bible teaching is unimportant. Why does somebody come into a church like ours, hear Bible teaching, and get tired of it, and then quit? That's not what they're looking for. And why don't they need that? Because they're not sinning very much. It's not a big deal. The reason our pews are empty and so many professed believers have left this church Is not because my toupee is slipping when I'm preaching. It's because they don't see the point of this. This is actually not worship to them. I've had individuals that come up to me. One years ago said, Wow, sitting after came up to me after worship service when they'd come in from another church, another IFCA church, said, Wow, your worship service is predominantly just prayer and Bible teaching. He wasn't saying that as a compliment. He believed we were fundamentally lacking in biblical worship because we weren't being overrun by music. You need to really promote music more than Bible teaching, he said. And it's got to be contemporary music. So the power of the church is music. And the power of the church is contemporary music, neither of which are mentioned in the Bible. So when the Bible comes along and says otherwise, the Bible's in error. So I don't sit under a lot of Bible instruction, even though the Bible says that I'm supposed to, because the Bible is fundamentally in error. I don't need constant negative confronting of my sin because the Bible is in error. The Bible points out how bad we struggle with sin, but the Bible is in error. This is what it means. This is our fundamental issue. This is ground zero. Christians don't believe the authority of the Bible. Look at Matthew 3. We would never verbalize this. This is our actions that tell us this. Matthew 3, verse 2. The first word out of John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived, when he was preaching to the lost, was what? Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Repent of what? So when churches drop repentance, John the Baptist is in Error, right? First sermon out of Christ's mouth, Matthew 4, verse 17. It says, Jesus began to preach. First word out of his mouth, repent. So when we dump the gospel, first part of the gospel, repentance. When preachers in the American church, the overwhelming number of Bible-believing churches do this, dump repentance. Repentance. In Matthew four verse seventeen, who is in error? Christ. Charles Ryrie, as you know, I've said from this pulpit, went to his grave, renouncing repentance as part of the gospel. Why would he do that? An apostate. You can't preach against John the Baptist. You can't for forty years preach against John the Baptist. And preach against Christ and claim to be a true believer that's a fake see but the church just doesn't do that with the gospel now in the church we don't need to confront sin it's too negative this is the way it is so Bible teaching is unimportant because we don't need to repent sin is no big deal yeah but John the Baptist preached against sin with repentance he's an heir Christ says repent John, that's your opinion. My opinion. My opinion. Did you just read that in Matthew 4 17? How do you spell the word? R E P E N T. Is it there in verse 17? No, that's just your opinion. My opinion. We just spelled the word out for crying out loud. It's not my opinion, it's Christ's mandate. Ephesians 4. This tells us everything. When you go into churches and you find people more on Sunday mornings and not on Sunday nights, they don't believe in Bible instruction. It's not needed, right? It's not needed, right? Right? If you hadn't eaten food for two weeks, you had no food, and we offered free food tonight, for anybody who has been starving to death for the last two weeks, come tonight and you get free food. Would we show up if we're starving? Would we pull a stunt like, well, there's nowhere in the Bible says I have to go to church on Sunday night to get free food? A spiritual death. That's a believer who doesn't need Bible instruction. Why I'm doing this as a mantra over and over again. Why don't I need a lot of Bible instruction over and over? Because I don't, why don't I need that? Because I don't have a problem with sin. Sin is minor in my life. Ephesians 4. We need pastors and teachers in verse 11. Why do we need this? For the equipping of the saints. Very important phrase, to be equipping of the saints. Do you know what that word equipping means in the Greek? To fix what is broken. That's what equipping means, to mend a brokenness. Does holiness break you? What breaks us? What's the purpose of pastors and teachers? First thing mentioned, for the mending of the brokenness of the saints. Only when they are confronted on their brokenness and equipped with teaching, pastor, teachers, will they then be able to do the work of service and the body gets built up. But when a rebellious church system is killing off churches, so basically Sam's church that he was in at East Hazelcrest, Bible-believing fundamental, they basically voted as a congregation by their lack of attendance that they did not need preaching more than once on Sunday. When in reality, if sin is a daily problem with us, how often should we really be instructed in the Word? I would think daily, right? I don't think it's a stretch to say twice on Sunday. This is not, see I've had people come up after sermons, oh, you just just want more numbers on Sunday night. No, I'm just pointing out that we show our real intention spiritually by our actions. We do. I could come to a Sunday night service and never apply it. So just being here doesn't mean anything. This is the state of affairs that we're facing today. Now, if the church today doesn't see continuous instruction as needed to continuously renounce sin, then what we have here, then, is the church has to find other things to replace that. And you have evangelical churches that are doing online gambling. Yes, believe it or not. Show movies in their worship services. They do, of course, football, and the NFL takes the place. A lot of believers just stop attending during football season because they want to watch the Bears. Um, Amazingly, the church becomes a dating service. We should do, you know, the dating game and have three benches up here with three women and a guy over here and a wall in between because the church all of a sudden becomes a dating service. i had people tell me, well, I need to find a church so I can find a spouse. That's not the purpose of the church, folks. Or it's a musical concert. Churches find people aren't coming out on Sunday nights, so they start doing concerts on Sunday nights to draw them out because they don't want the teaching of the word. Look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3. One purpose for the church. It's not entertainment, sports, uh, Super Bowl Sundays, dating, fellowships, around music, um, eateries. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul says to Timothy, In case I'm delayed, I will write so that you know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. If you don't know what the household of God is, he defines it, which is the church of the living God. And what is the church? The pillar and support of what? That's it. How do you pillar and support the truth? You promote it and teach it. Is there anything else listed there? No. If there was some other mandate, would it be listed there? The sole purpose of the church is to support and promote biblical truth. Again, Bible error. Ding, ding, ding. Verse 15 is error. It's not necessary in modern evangelicalism. Don't need it. We need less teaching, not more. Not needed. Why is it needed less? Sin is not a big problem. You remember what Christ told the woman at the well, Samaritan woman in John 4. Those who worship must worship in what? Spirit of God, Galatians 5.16, and truth, Titus 2.12. Christians reject this. I have over the years shown Christians this passage and others They reject what I'm saying so I'll say so then you reject what Christ says and they'll just say that's your opinion I was even told that recently that's just your opinion that's the way out from all Bible authority if all preaching from this pulpit or any Bible believing pulpit is just pastoral personal opinion then you know what what use is the Bible what's the use of the Bible if it's all just personal opinion I mean Then why would an idiot false god command in the Bible that teachers, preachers are to preach the word when it's just their opinions and has no authority? It's an idiot god who gives us an idiot Bible. This is the ultimate end of this, I don't need a lot of Bible instruction because I'm not that bad of a sinner. Yes, but the Bible says that. That's your opinion. Oh, so everything in a pulpit of a Bible-believing church is just personal opinion. Yes. Whenever I disagree with you, John, I just realize that's your personal opinion. What an idiot God then to tell me to preach the word when it's all just personal opinion I have no choice but when I instruct in the Word of God I have no choice but to just give my own biased manipulative personal opinion I'm not really slamming you guys with this I'm really talking about the church as a whole all right so let's recap the destructions fact number one if a believer cannot have victory over sins then Bible instruction is essentially pointless and that's basically what we see today it's pointless to sit under a lot of sermons and titus two twelve here is fundamentally in error galatians 5 16 is also fundamentally in error fact number two if a believer needs no victory over sins because sin is a minor problem then bible instruction is as well essentially pointless The reason why Christians can't be bothered with a lot of Bible teaching is because they don't really need it. They're not sinning that much. But Titus 2.12 says the opposite of that. So again, Titus 2.12 is fundamentally an error in the Bible. Yeah, well, what about Paul's war with sin as an apostle in Romans 7? The only thing I can say to that is there's something wrong with Paul. He was messed up back then. They must have had battles with sin back then and failed. In fact, in 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul admits that he's not normal. He admits he's a rebellious sinner when he says he's the chief of all sinners. So really, we Christians are better than him. We don't need many sermons. Church should be fun. Preaching is nothing more than guilt-ridden manipulation. Yeah. We, as a church, and I was, and you, you and I, will stand on the fact that Bible instruction is the only cure for sin. Christians sit less and less under Bible instruction against sin because they don't think they need it. Hey, do you remember the last time a Christian walked in here, and the first thing they asked an usher was? I'm desperate to find Bible instruction that will confront my sin. Does your church do that? I think we ever got emails on our website for that? No hmm. oh, Christians come in and, oh, it's hot in here. I really need to find a church with air conditioning. Oh, you got old pews. Well, Those aren't very comfortable. I need to find a church that is comfortable. Do you have youth ministries here? No. I really need to find a youth ministry for my family. Single walks in here. Wow. Not much available meat. I guess I should go down to the Christian bar. Pillar and support of the truth. That's what we're here for. Because sin is the problem. If you spend very little time privately in the Bible and studying it on your own, you're in this camp of fact number two. You don't need a lot of Bible intake personally during the week because sin is not a major problem in your life. You can kick and stomp all you want, but that's the case. When Galatians 5.16 says that the spirit is warring against your flesh and the flesh against the spirit, that tells us we're in a life death struggle against our sin nature and if you don't need a lot of Bible reading and instruction in your own heart during the week and a lot of it here you are crying out against the authority of the Word of God that says you're in a war for your life with sin and you've turned preaching into guilt ridden manipulation where the guy up here is just trying to fill the pews with more numbers no Next month, fact number three. The reason all this is going on is there's a massive spiritual war going on in every single church, sight unseen. It is a massive war. God wanting to promote more Bible teaching and profess believers wanting to destroy it. And here's the key word, and abuse Bible teaching and abuse Bible teachers. Fact number three, we're applying from Titus 2.12 your word is sure it's eternal Lord and we stand firm on it help us this afternoon to take a hard look at ourselves in the mirror it is not what we say that counts it's how we live father We are not to be hearers of the word, but hearers and doers. Doing shows what we are. This is not being guilted into coming to more teaching services, Lord. Because someone, who, Lord, who's guilted into coming to more teaching service still thinks they don't need it. This is desperation to come to more teaching services. I am failing in sin so much, I have to have more teaching. That is unheard of in the church today. So we've dumped repentance from the gospel, Lord. Sin's no problem for unbelievers. And we dump repentance and Bible instruction in our churches because sin is no problem for believers. Next month, we're going to see that one of the worst wars that has ever existed in humanity is the war in a believer's heart. The Spirit of God living in our minds, continuously warring against our sin natures. Galatians 5.17 And if sin is really not a big deal, why is he warring in our minds? What is he seeing up there that we aren't? Massive, continuous failure with various sins. But Bible preaching, Lord, Truly does bore us. Enough is enough is enough. So the Spirit sees that in our minds and He goes dark, silent, quenched, stops working. And Father, one of the most frightening things for a believer is when the indwelling Holy Spirit stops working in our minds. Because the battle is spirit versus the sin nature. And if you stop working, sin nature goes wild. And in your word, this is called spiritual shipwreck. Have mercy on us, Lord. Cause us to repent. Hunger for the truth because we are desperately starving for it and feeding on wickedness and sin so much. Your word is not an error. It never has been and never will be. It's we who are lying. When your word says we need this and we say we don't, it's we who are liars, not your word. Church today will have none of this, and that's why apostasy reigns. These are the dark days we're in. Churches have become lust lovers. The promotion of evil. Free in Christ to sin here at church. And Bible sin confronters need not apply. That's why when you rapture the church... You will be judging the church, and most who think they're saved will be left behind. I say, Lord, come quickly, because only you can clean the house of God, as only you should. In Jesus' name, amen.